Good to be here. It's good to be with all you guys. And uh, yeah, it's fun to, to see how this passage, this book that we're looking at, the book of 1 Thessalonians, just seems to be speaking to us in such a, a powerful way. I know there's times in my life where I, I'm reading something in the Bible and I feel like it's, it's almost like I can hear God auditorily speaking to me through what I'm reading. And, and I feel like there's a sense, especially uh, this week, for us as a church family, where God has been using the book of 1 Thessalonians to speak to us. It was just last week that we, we read that passage that says, hey, we don't grieve like those with no hope. That we know that, that those who are followers of Jesus are going to meet with him in the air and that we are going to get to join with them. And that on that glorious day when we are all brought together with our Lord, with our Savior, that there is great hope in that. And I think even now as we're we're grieving the loss of our, our friends, our families. Um, we grieve with that, that hope. And the very last verse of chapter uh, four says, hey, encourage each other. And there's, there's a theme throughout the book of Thessalonians. That this is not just internal information for ourselves. This is what we get to encourage each other with. And so this morning, we're going to look at chapter five. And chapter five kind of takes um, this concept another step. Basically, chapter four, the end of chapter four is talking about, hey, have hope. Know that those who have died will be united with those who are alive on that last day. And chapter five begins to to build out a little bit about what this last day will be like and how do we prepare for kind of the end of times, prepare for the day of the Lord. And I I think that's really helpful for us to, to think about that because most of us, we, we know that someday, if Jesus doesn't come back, first we're going to die, right? But we kind of go about our lives, right? We pay our bills, we mow our lawns, we, we raise our kids. We, we go about lives just kind of living. And so these reminders that we see in Scripture are really helpful for us, that, that this is not the end, that what we see with our eyes is not the totality of life, that Jesus is going to return, that there will be an end days, And so it's something for us to prepare for, something to think about. And I think if we don't think about how to prepare for it, then what's the point of even knowing this information? Like, you remember, like, maybe a year ago or something like that, there was that uh, mistake in Hawaii where everybody got the text message saying missile attack was imminent in Hawaii. You guys remember that story? And what was the problem with that? Well, one, that there was no missile attack. But nobody knew what to do. Right? It was just like, hey, missiles are coming. And everybody's like, we're on an island. Where do we go? We can't outrun this thing. Do we like take our surfboards and paddle out into the ocean? Do we go hide in the volcano? Like, you know, the 1950s, like drill underneath your desk. Like people freaked out. And praise the Lord, it was just a mistake. Nothing actually uh, ended up happening. And hopefully we fixed that problem. But it points to the fact that Knowing information without knowing what to do about it is not necessarily the most positive thing, right? And so this morning, what I really want us to look like is, okay, the end is coming. How do we prepare for that? And that's kind of a theme in culture. In fact, I was doing some research and I found National Geographic Channel has an entire TV show called Preppers. Maybe some of you guys 
you know, watch this on the regular. You binge watch the preppers. I don't know what you do on your Saturday afternoons. But this, this show, just about people who are preparing for the Armageddon, for the end of the world. So check out this, like, this little video clip. I think it's kind of funny. Pause now and watch the video linked in the description below. Right, like, that's intense, isn't it? And it's kind of funny to me because comparing that with the passage we're about to read makes the passage we're going to read feel so anticlimactic. You know, in the passage we're going to read, basically what Paul is saying is, hey, know that Jesus is coming back. The day of the Lord is coming. So here's how you prepare. Faith, love, hope. Right? That's, that's way different than guns, canned food, and improvised explosives. You know, that was kind of... Can you imagine if they tried to make a, a TV show based on this passage? It would not be that dramatic, would it? Like, even Hallmark Channel, I don't think, would pick it up. Like, just people sitting around praying, going, God, give me more faith and hope. And, like, and yet, that's what we're called to as Christians. So let's, let's read this passage. And as we're going through this passage, I just encourage you to um, really ask the question, okay, what is this teaching us about who God is and what, what he's preparing in my life? All right, so it's uh, chapter of 5 in First Thessalonians, starting in verse 1. We're going to go all the way to uh, verse 11 here. It says this, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers or brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourself are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains comes upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but keep awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Wow, there's some powerful words in this passage, isn't there? Some powerful imagery. One of the things I think that's worth us talking about before we dive too deep into this is this concept of the day of the Lord, right? Throughout scripture, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the day of the Lord is used to, to remind us that there is coming a judgment day where God is gonna make right all of the brokenness in this world, set, set everything correct back to his perfect plan. But on that judgment day, there will be literal judgment that those of us who have lived, we will stand before him, that all of the wickedness, all of the sin, all of the shameful actions of our life will be laid bare, and there will be punishment for those, and all the righteousness will be rewarded. And this theme is, is throughout, and it's, it's amazing because in the Old Testament, almost always, Whenever the day of the Lord is talked about, especially in the prophets, it's used to remind us to take a look at our actions, to think about how we are living our life. Don't you realize the day of the Lord is coming? Daddy's coming home. You better clean your room before he gets here, right? I remember being a kid and like, remember as like a teenager, my parents would go out of town sometimes and leave like me and my little brother home alone. 
And for like two days, we would just trash the house. We'd have food and plates and clothes all over the place. And, but constantly in the back of our mind was mom and dad are coming home. <laughs> we better make sure we can clean up and fix whatever we broke. And, and that's kind of what the Old Testament writers really use this for. In fact, one of my favorite, or I don't know if my favorite, but I think one of the most riveting text that talks about this is Amos. And uh, it's actually in your digging deeper notes, those notes that are at the bottom of your, your question. So if, if you want to do deeper study in this, I encourage you to, to look at Amos chapter 5. It's, really a, 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 it's a really a powerful passage. And in this, Amos is really leveling this critique against the nation of Israel. And, and he's saying to the people of Israel, he goes, guys, you have acted so unjustly. You've created these systems that, that justify your injustice, that build you up. You, you are tearing people down. Even your taxation system is made just so it benefits the rich and it tears apart the poor. And you think you are so clever. You think you are so smart, that you are so sophisticated, that you created this injustice for yourself and you pat yourself on the back thinking of how awesome you are. Don't you know the day of the Lord is coming? Don't you know that God is going to judge your actions? And then he uses this imagery that I, I just think, it, I've been thinking about it since uh, for the last couple of weeks, actually. It's this imagery. He says, the day of the Lord will come, and it'll be like you just outran a lion to be confronted with a bear. Or you go in your house and you put your hand on your wall just to get bit by a snake. Let's, let's, let's play with this image for a second here. Imagine this. Imagine some dude is out running across the plains of Africa, right? And right on his heels is this, this lion, and it's snarling, and it's making all sorts of lion noises, and it's chasing him down. And right at the last minute, he dives into this cave that he sees. And he's in the cave, and he's feeling like, I did it. I survived. I escaped. The lion goes running off. It's like, whew, I made it. And then he starts to hear the sounds of a bear below. Now, I know there's no African bears. I was chastised deeply after first service. But just go with me. It's an imagery here, okay? Bears right there. Wow, what a sad story that is. Or, or he escapes even the bear, and he runs home, and he's, he's in his house, and he's panting, and he's exhausted. He puts his hand on the wall just to hold himself up, victorious that he's escaped two wild beasts. And a poison snake bites his hand and he dies. That's the imagery here. And he's saying, you guys think that you can get away with this. You think you can live your life however you justify it? Are you ready to stand before your maker? Does your life line up to the perfect standard that he's created you for? You're kidding yourself. Now, if that was all there was to Scripture, that would be a hard conversation, wouldn't it? Because I know for me that my life is nothing I'm proud of. Yeah, there's some moments of things that I'm proud of, but there's a lot of shameful, evil actions in my life that are deserving of being judged. But there's this other theme connected to the day of the Lord, and it's this theme that works into the New Testament. And see, in the New Testament, there's this hope that we have that Jesus has given himself for us as a substitute for our sinful lives. 
So that even though you and I have screwed up and we've done evil and terrible things, Jesus in his purity and his righteousness lived a perfect life, died us uh, for a crime that he didn't commit, and he offers us his life as a substitute for our life. And so then when the New Testament writers, especially Paul, when he starts talking about the day of the Lord, it's not this fearful thing that we need to be afraid of. It's this point of hope. It's this point of excitement. It's the day that we get to meet our creator, that we get to be united with God again. It's the wedding day and we're the bride and he's the bridegroom and we get to go see him and be united with him forever. And so for us as Christians, it's a very hopeful theme. Still, it causes us to ask these questions of how am I living my life? Absolutely. There is something still sobering about that. But it doesn't cripple us. It doesn't overwhelm us because we have this joy and this excitement of being united with our Savior, being forgiven of his grace. I was trying to think through kind of illustrations for this, and every illustration I can come up with on an earthly front falls short. I was remembering like when I used to play as a kid, I played American football all growing up. And I remember we were on, I was on some really good teams and some really, really bad teams And I remember my first year playing football, we were on this team that was terrible. We lost every game. We never even scored. I think we scored two touchdowns the whole time, and one was an accident. Uh, And uh, I remember watching the, the play clock, you know, the time clock, and just, it was like this point of dread. Like, I just got to make it to the end of this game and not screw up too bad. Not embarrass myself any worse than I'm already embarrassed. I knew we weren't going to win the game. That wasn't even on the table. It was just about not just totally being a fool the next day at school, right? And I think that without Jesus, that's a little bit what the day of the Lord feels like, doesn't it? Like, I just hope I don't mess this life up too bad. I hope I'm good enough to not totally embarrass myself. But then on the other side, I remember being a part of some, some really good teams. And there was times where we would be up by a ton of points. There was no doubt that we were going to win the game. And that time clock was like this hopeful thing. It's like, all right, guys, five more minutes. We can keep, keep it going. This, we're on the right track. Let's go. Let's go. We can do this. Just keep it up. And isn't that our hope as Christians, that God, Savior of the world, is on our team? The question is not whether we're going to win or lose this life because he has given us this life. It's this point of hope, like keep it up. The end is near. The day of the Lord is coming. Let's keep moving forward. Let's keep going. And and it's this point of really, I think, profound hope for us. So now I want to read the passage to us one more time, and we're going to specifically get into the, the details of how do we then live in preparation of this day of the Lord. So let's let's read it one more time, and then we'll we'll jump into it. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need for anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light. Children of the day, we are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. 
But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. You hear that theme of the day of the Lord, this hopeful yet sobering reminder? And he speaks of this. He says, hey, I want you guys to realize this is coming. It's going to come suddenly. You can't prep for it. You can't plan for it. You don't know the day or the hour this thing is going to come. In fact, it's going to come upon you like a thief in the night. I think if this was the the book of first Fremontonians, right, I think it might say, uh, the day of the Lord will come upon you like a package thief at noon stealing your Amazon delivery. And nobody will know because they'll all be at work too, right? But the, the point here is, okay, it's going to come upon you when you least expect it. At night, when you're asleep, you can plan for it. I mean, we all know that. Like, people have different security systems. You got locks on your doors. Maybe you got a mean chihuahua that, that guards your house. But if a thief wants to come rob you at night, there's probably not a ton you can do about it. We're vulnerable. It's even thinking about this idea of night and, like, it's, don't we feel vulnerable at night? Like when you're asleep, you're tucked into your bed and you assume you're all alone in your room or just with you and your spouse. Have you ever had a situation where you thought you were alone and you woke up to realize somebody was in the room with you? Like even when it's my four-year-old, it freaks me out a little bit, right? Like, whoa, you know, your eyes open up and there's people and you feel like violated. You thought you were safe. You thought you were protected. You thought that that was your little bubble and it wasn't. And he's saying, hey, there are people that think they are totally protected. They're saying, hey, we got peace. We got security. Everything is good. Like, Man, they're not. Destruction will come upon them. Then he uses this other imagery here. He says, it's like labor pains. Now, I've not experienced that, um, you know, obviously. Uh, but I, I remember with my wife, with both of our daughters, both of our daughters came a little bit later than we were expecting, And so we were planning on them coming, right? We knew that pretty soon my wife was going to go into labor. We'd watched all the little videos and gone through all the the fancy classes to prepare ourselves. But at some point, we could not prepare for what was going to just wreck her body in that moment, right? That labor pains were going to come on her. But I think there's something kind of neat about this imagery because of all the mothers I know, I can imagine that for many of you that this was some of the most excruciating pain you've been through in your life. And yet, it's that night or that day that you remember so vividly. Not based on the pain, but the joy that came seeing your child for the first time. And again, I think there's this imagery for us as Christians that the day of the Lord is hard, it's painful, it's it's a lot to take in and to think about, but it's the day that we're going to get to meet our Savior our king, our God, and be united with him. But it comes like a thief in the night. In other words, we can't, we can't know the time, we can't know the day, and so our responsibility is to live every day, every minute, every hour, prepared for the day that we get to meet our Savior, our Maker, 
And so now I want us to spend the rest of our time just really asking this question. So if the day of the Lord is coming, and I'm assuming that this is true, I'm assuming that what what God has written to us and his word is true, that there is going to come a judgment day, and we are all going to stand before our maker. So since I believe that is true, how should I live my life now in preparation for that? And the first point I see here in this passage, and it's one that's actually, I think, more implied than directly um, called out in here, is that the first step for us being prepared is to receive the gift of salvation. So Paul, he's writing to a group of believers in Thessalonians who have um, sacrificed greatly to follow Jesus. They've left the religion of their childhood. They've probably been abandoned by their families. They've confessed that Jesus is their Lord, and as a result, they've, they've suffered hardships. They've, even some of them have died as a result of this faith. They've chosen to publicly be baptized in obedience to follow him. So when Paul writes this letter to this church, he's assuming that he's writing this letter to a bunch of Christians because the fact that they're even reading this means that they're followers of Jesus. But I don't think we can make that same assumption of us, right? This last summer, we did a, a survey of all of us. We all put the survey together or all filled it out. And one of the first questions on that survey was a, a real simple question. It was, I'm a Christian. I'm not sure if I'm a Christian or I'm not a Christian. And, and on that, about 17% of us said either we're not sure if we're a follower of Jesus or we're not a follower of Jesus. And, and so I want to speak to us because I think this point matters deeply. If we're not a follower of Jesus, the best I understand scripture, the best I understand what God is doing, that we are going to stand before our judge, our creator, and we are going to be judged against his standard of perfection. And I don't believe that there is anybody, any one of us, that can live up to that standard. And God, knowing and loving us, knew that we couldn't line up to that standard. So in his grace, he provided Jesus as a substitute for our sin. And scripture is very clear that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That we will be judged based on his works, not our works, if we call upon his name. And then we too can say what is said here in verse 8, that that we are not destined for wrath, but by the salvation made possible by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I say that because I think nothing else we talk about here really matters. We can do lots of good things. We We can put on faith and hope and love and all those things. But if we have not received the gift of Jesus, I do not think we can be adequately prepared for the day of the Lord. So I want to just give space to, to all of us. Um, if you are wrestling with that question, feel free to just ignore everything else I say. Feel free to just take time between you and God. Say, God, maybe, maybe today is the day that you confess that to him. Say, Jesus, I need you. And then we can have confidence. If you do that today, then you have the hope of your salvation. You get to wear that as a helmet. You have confidence that on the day of the Lord, whether it's the day you die or whether the day that Jesus comes back, you can stand in front of him, not based on your own works, but based on Jesus and know that you have eternal life because of his work. And so 
Um, afterwards, we're going to do some worship. If you'd like to talk with somebody, if you'd like to pray with somebody, there's going to be space up front to do that. And like I said, if you want to do that, even right now, you can just put your head down. You can stare at me blankly, whatever. But I believe that is the most important thing, the most important question any of us can ask. So for the rest of us, as we are thinking about this question, how do we prepare for the coming of the Lord? And I, I think the one of the things I, I see here in this passage is that we should be informed. Now, it's interesting. It starts out, it says, okay, I want you, as concerning the times and the seasons and the dates, there's nothing more I need to write to you about that. In other words, what Paul is saying is, you know enough, you're good. Now, it's funny, I think if, if Christian writers and theologians would have listened to that news, we'd have a whole lot less books uh, written about the end times, right? We're pretty obsessed with knowing the times and the dates and the seasons and all the ways it all fits together. And, and I think that's fine. I think that's interesting and we can pursue that. But I think what's more important is being informed in the sense that we know, we have confidence that Christ is coming back again. And therefore, we should live our lives now accordingly. I think that's what it means to be informed. That's what it means to be aware. That's what it means to live our lives, it's, as Paul uses the illustration, to be awake, to be sober, to be ready for this day. So the first point I think here is to just be informed, to realize this, to believe this, that Jesus is coming back. Now, I think there's one thing for us to say we believe that, and there's another thing for us to believe we believe that, right? I think for us, for me, I'll just speak for myself there. Are, I, I believe this. I believe that Jesus is coming back. Yet, I don't actually live most of my life believing that Jesus is coming back, right? I've, so there's something in this that says, hey, be informed. It's coming when you least expect it, so be ready. So then the next point really is connected to that, is that is that we should be stay, stay ready, stay sober, stay engaged. And we do that very ex- explicitly in this passage. It says, by putting on faith, love, and hope. That's what it means for us as believers to be ready, Right? There's this, this picture that, that he's using here, that Paul is using here. He says, okay, day of the Lord's going to come like a thief in the night. And a thief can come in the night because people are either asleep or they're too drunk to care. So spiritually speaking, don't do either of those two things. Be awake, be alert, be engaged, be sober, be of clear mind. Right? Keep, keep in on this. So the imagery here is, is pretty clear. Like, if Jesus returns, how many of us want to be spiritually asleep or spiritually drunk? No, of course not. You want to be ready for that. Now, again, I want to use the other imagery here, the imagery of a wedding. And, and I'm kind of mixing two biblical imageries together, but, but just bear with me for a second here. So imagine this. Imagine that it's the olden days, back before FaceTime video and, uh, you know, text messages and stuff, and, and you meet the love of your life, right? You're somewhere, and you meet, and then you have to go to separate places. You live long, an ocean between the two of you. Okay, this is going to be a very romantic story. Track with me here, okay? Um, and, and one day, you get a letter from your love saying, I want to marry you. I'm coming to be with you. I'll be with you soon. We'll spend the rest of our lives together. And every day you look out over the ocean looking for boats sailing in to bring your love to you. And, and, and 
you do this night and day, and day after day goes by, and you're waiting for your love to come sailing across the ocean, and it keeps being delayed, prolonged. And you start to get frustrated. You start to get overwhelmed and tired. So maybe you start uh, drinking a little bit. Start drinking a little bit more. And one night, you're just frustrated, you're tired, and you just finish off the bottle of whatever ancient drink we're drinking here in this narrative. Okay, not a great romantic storyteller. Just track with me here. <laughs> and that happens to be the night that your true love comes in. And they, they come in, and they're so excited to see you, and they, they kick down the door of your castle, and they come running in to find you passed out drunk in your own vomit on the floor. How beautiful of a story is that? Not at all, right? And I think that's kind of some of the imagery that we see here is why would we live our lives totally contrary to the life that we're going to spend in eternity with God in heaven? And we're going to spend eternity with God in perfect unity with him and with each other, in perfect love, in perfect faith, in perfect hope. And so why are we living our life without those things? Help be ready, be sober, be awake. And it gets really specific here. It says, okay, here's how this looks for you. I want you to put on the breastplate, this protective gear that's going to protect your heart and, and your soul and all your vital organs. And the protective gear I want you to put on is faith. And love. And I want to put you on this helmet, and this helmet's going to protect your mind and your thoughts and your plans and your dreams, and that's going to be the hope of your salvation. So it's really a cool imagery here, isn't it? That the thing that is going to sustain you, the thing that is going to keep you ready, is faith. And again, the idea of biblical faith is not just faith in something that's going to happen well or something's going to be good, but faith in God and the plan of God and the plan that He has for you. You're going to put on love, which is love that we've experienced by this great story of of Jesus giving himself on our behalf. And so as a result, we get to love him with all of our hearts, and we get to love our neighbors, you and I, our community, as ourself. And it's hope, hope specifically in our salvation, not hope in our own good works, not hope in what we can muster up and what we can do, but hope in what he has done for us. Uh, You guys have probably heard me talk about how I like to mountain bike, right? That's one of my hobbies and pastimes. And I've got all sorts of protective gear for my mountain bike. I got elbow pads. I got knee pads. I got gloves. I have a, my normal helmet, but then I even have a full-faced helmet for when I'm getting really rowdy. I've got a chest protector. Um, and if I'm just going to, like, ride to the park with my daughters, I'm not putting all that garbage on, right? I might put a helmet on to be a good example, but that's about the only protective stuff that I put on. But if I'm going to be up riding like in the Sierras, up around Tahoe, and I'm on a trail that I know is dangerous, that I know is difficult, I want to put all of my protective gear on. And actually, when I put on that protective gear, it's really encouraging to me because I don't have to be afraid of every jagged rock, every tree branch, every, you know, cliff that I see because I can have some confidence that I can handle at least some minor bumps and scrapes because I'm protected. But... The second I take off that protective gear, right, I'm like, okay, I'm good. I don't need all this stuff. Almost always that's when I crash. Very seldom do I crash when I have all my gear on. It's, it's the second I think I don't need it anymore. And I think the same thing is true for us in our Christian walk. These attributes are permanent attributes that we should put on. It's not like we can go about our day going, hey, you know, last three days I was super faith. I just had 
tons of faith in God. I was faithful, Nate. So today, I'm just going to throw all that away for a little bit. I'm going to take a, it's kind of a, you know, a past day, no faith day. Or, you know, I've been loving at work today. I was super loving. I had some really difficult people to love, and I loved them anyway. So tonight, after I get home from work, sorry, honey, sorry, kids, no loving Nate. That's who I am. I'm going to be selfish tonight. It doesn't work that way, right? That's not how protective gear works. This is stuff for our life. Now, sometimes I think it's hard, at least it's hard for me to think practically about what does faith, hope, and love really look like? I mean, they they seem a little bit squishy, a little bit soft, right? Like, how do you actually do these attributes? And we were talking about it um, this week in our pastor's kind of prayer circle that we do. And Max, our high school pastor, he says, you know, I think for me, these attributes are external attributes. They're attributes that point outside of ourselves. It's faith in God and what he's done. It's love of others. It's hope in him. And so I thought that was really helpful to think about these things. And a question we can ask is, what's the direction of my life? What's the direction of my faith? Is my faith internal on what I can do, how I can manipulate the world for my own advantage? Is my love just a love of myself, or is it a love of others? Is my hope in just some nebulous hope that's out there, or is it, is it hope that I have directly from God and from his word? And I think those are great questions for us to kind of ask, maybe kind of an end-of-day check-in. There's one more thing in this passage that I think is, is really important. Um, it's actually the same way that the last passage ends. At the end of chapter 4, it says, hey, encourage each other with these words. At the end of this section, what does Paul say? He says, encourage each other, build each other up with these things, just as you have been doing. So obviously this is important, that we encourage each other. And I think it's important because, let's be honest, life is discouraging, isn't it? How many of you have been discouraged in the last week for anything? Most of us, right? Probably if we went last day, I think some of us would have something that's been discouraging. Now, whenever we are (laughs) discouraged, when somebody comes to me that's discouraged, my natural reaction is just to give some kind of light, fluffy encouragement, right? It's just easier. Oh, I'm sorry you had a bad day. Well, just keep it up. Tomorrow's a brighter future. You know, it's always darkest before the day or whatever the, you know, we just kind of like to just all right, cool, I'm sorry you feel that way. What do you need, a hug? You know, and that's, that's fine. But I think there's something really profound here. It's saying, hey, what is, we can encourage each other. In fact, this isn't just encouragement. This actually builds each other up, remind each other, hey, Jesus is coming back. That gives us perspective. All this stuff we're going through, think about it in perspective of Christ is going to return, that we are going to spend eternity with him in heaven, and it's going to come at any moment. So we can live our lives now putting on faith, hope, and love. That's that's real meaningful encouragement, I think. That's encouragement that builds each other up, that edifies us as Christians, that, that reminds us of what's important, what has value, what has meaning. And how great would it be if we got good at this? I think it's a skill that we have to practice. I don't think it's something that comes supernatural to us. But what if we got good at encouraging each other this way? What if spouses encouraged each other and their kids this way and our life groups built into our lives this way and our church services? It's a beautiful picture. So as we close, I want to 
I want to practice this for a second. I want to just encourage you with these words. Verse 9 says, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, whether we are awake or asleep, that we might live with him. I want to say that to us who are followers of Jesus, that this is our hope. This is the hope of salvation that we have, that that Jesus died for us, that whether we are going to be asleep when he comes, whether we're passed away before he comes, or whether we will be alive when he comes, that is our destiny. That is our future. So let me me pray for us. And again, I just want to be sensitive to the fact that uh, maybe some of us in here are asking the question, have I received this salvation? And... um, I, we would love to talk with you about that. We'd love to connect with you and, and maybe help you navigate this journey or even maybe just celebrate. Maybe today is a day that you received that hope of salvation. We want to just be excited with you and for you. So let me pray for us. God, we praise you. We are so amazed that you have forgiven us, that you have given us a, a life that we don't deserve, that... Um, that you give us this hope that you are coming back for us, that you've not abandoned us, that you've not left us here just to fend for ourselves, but that you will come back and you will restore all that is broken, all that is wrong, all that is evil and wicked. So God, I pray that this week we can live um, surrounded by your faith, faith in you, surrounded by love that comes from you and, and hope um, that comes from the knowledge of what you are doing in our life. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.